The Lord calls us to worship this morning from Psalm 138, verses 1 through 3. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods I will sing praises to you. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. In the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. Amen. and our eyes to you today that you would cause us to be able to see and behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus our Savior that you would give light to our eyes and illumination to our minds by your spirit that as we hear the word of God as we sing praises to you and as we come to the table of your grace that you invite your children to come to that we would be fed Lord we pray that you would be pleased with the praises of our hearts and as we sing May we join our hearts together as your people and praise you with one voice. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as we pray to you, as you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not 
through temptation, but deliver us from evil. Provide us kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from Psalm 138, verses 7 and 8. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 170 together, Fairest Lord Jesus.
turn in your hymnal to page number 808. For our responsive reading this morning, we will be reading together Psalm 67 on page 808. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. For you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear Him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the privilege that it is to come to Your throne of grace to lift up our hearts to You, to give to You the cries of our hearts, words that are difficult to utter. And many times we're unable to even put to words the thoughts in our hearts. Lord, we thank You that You hear us and that You you even pray for us on our behalf. Before the throne of grace, You intercede for Your people that we might grow in love and beauty and holiness in Your presence and that You would make us in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank You that You are with us. Even this morning as we gather as Your people, You are here by Your presence. In each of us, You have filled us with Your Spirit, those who belong to You by faith. And Lord, we thank You for Your abiding presence with us, whether we are here or at home. Lord, we praise You that You never leave Your people. Lord, I want to thank You and praise You this morning for the work that You are doing here in our midst, here at Lebanon. You are working the gospel in our hearts. And Lord, we are changed because of the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And Lord, I praise You and I thank You for that. I thank You for allowing us to see Your work, not only in our lives, but also in the lives of our brothers and sisters. This is work that You are doing, nothing that we can manufacture on our own. And we give You all glory and praise for it. Lord, I also pray that You would help those who are doing Your work throughout the nations. Lord, we thank specifically of missionaries that we support here. And Lord, I pray for Joel at South Carolina State, that You would give him all wisdom and, and unction by Your Spirit, that he would know when to speak and when not to as he engages with students on that campus. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have a participation in his work, not just by giving, but also by praying with and for him. Lord, I pray that You would be meeting His financial needs and that of His family, that He would give all honor and glory to You, that He has been able to put His his back to the work that You had given Him, and that He's not had to worry. Lord, I thank You and praise You for filling Him with the desire to serve You on that campus. And I pray, Lord, that You would use Him as a light for the Gospel there, that people who have never heard the name of Jesus would hear it and believe. Or those who have scorned Jesus' name, would hear and see and believe and be pricked in their hearts to know that there is a true and living God with whom we must deal. 
Lord, we thank You and praise You that You hear us now as we pray in Your name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing hymn number 628. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare.
just before we pray, I wanted to uh, just mention something to you that I'm pleased to share with you from the elders and from the deacons. Uh, it was approved to to give a thousand dollars from Lebanon to the Ukraine Disaster Relief Fund through the PCA, uh, through the Mission to the World, and. This is not to say this on a Sunday morning to grandstand or draw attention to ourselves at all, but to unite our hearts together as we think about giving, with also giving for the sake of the kingdom. Yes, we have to keep the lights on and take care of our own responsibilities, but praise the Lord that He has blessed us to be able to bless others. And for people who are around the world suffering this morning, uh, to be able to have a part in that, and to connect our hearts with them, not only through giving, but also through praying. Uh, May the Lord care for people, for orphans and for widows and others who are struggling, who left home and not with much more than what they had in their hands. May the Lord use it for the sake of His kingdom, that people would hear the gospel and believe. And hopefully this is also an encouragement to continue to pray for brothers and sisters and for others around the world who are suffering and who are going through a great deal together. Let me pray for our offering now. Our Father in heaven, we do dedicate our tithes and our offerings to you for the sake of your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would use them, uh, that the kingdom would be built up, and as Callie just played, that all the ransomed church of God would be saved to sin no more. Lord, through our obedience, through, through giving, may you use our tithes and our offerings that people who do not know you would hear of the good news of life in Christ. We do pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And we pray that you would meet their needs and be very near to them and comfort their hearts. In your name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 12 this morning. The sermon is entitled, Ask and it will be given. Matthew, chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, John had sent messengers to Jesus. John was in prison, and they sent word to Jesus and asked, Are you the one who is coming, or should we wait for someone else? And Jesus responded, And it seems like in a somewhat masked way, he says, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Jesus was saying in no uncertain terms, in words that they would have understood, that when he said that the blind see, he was not talking only about physical sight, though he was. He was proclaiming the kingdom of here, God is with you. But he was also speaking about spiritual sight as well. In the passage that we read last week and this morning in Matthew 7, 1 through 12, Jesus is speaking about correcting our vision problem. We see in verses 1 through 6 how our vision and the way that we see others has to be corrected. And then today in verses 7 through 11, how our vision about God and who He is and how we see ourselves when we look in the mirror, how that has to be corrected as well. We were reminded last week as we looked at verses 1 through 6 that for the one who has a tendency to be harsh and judgmental and overly critical towards others, that that person, as well as everyone else, will one day stand before the judge of all the earth, Almighty God, who will certainly do right. This one to whom we have to give an answer is the one who sees everything, even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Nothing is hidden from His sight. And of the many things that we learn in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been looking at this now since last July. As we think about this Sermon on the Mount and all that Jesus has said, one of the most profound things that He said is that there's no way for a person to simply look at it. As you open your Bible and read it and walk away determined in your mind, I'll do these things. I can set my heart on accomplishing all that Jesus tells me I must do here. It's an impossible standard. And perhaps one of the most discouraging things you could do is to read the Sermon on the Mount and then say, I'll do it. I can take care of this. Love other people. I can love people. Be kind to people. I can do that. But putting these two thoughts together, what we've just been discussing, if God is our judge, the one in front of whom all of us will stand, and we will, and that the standard of righteousness in God's kingdom is absolutely unattainable for us, what is there for hope for sinful people? We gather this morning for hope, do we not? 
We gather for hope to know that in the presence of God we might be accepted. Not hoping that we will, as if we are wishing for it, but hoping in it because we pray that we would be found hidden in Christ. As we have been looking at in Sunday school in our new series on union with Christ, we discussed this morning our hope in being united to Christ, that the Lord would look at Him and see us, that we would be found in Him hidden. In the context of this passage, as we think about the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that the judge, the one before whom you will stand and give an account, that the judge is actually your heavenly Father. He wants you for His own. As we think about praying this morning, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Those words seem almost too fantastical to believe. And almost out of touch with the reality that we live in. You could probably write down on the piece of paper things that you have prayed for that you have not yet gotten the answer for. Or maybe things that you have prayed for and very clearly God has said no. And you know it in your bones. You can feel it and sense it in your spirit. And so as we read these words, what does this mean? What is Jesus saying? Ask and it will be given to you. To him who asks, he will receive. To he who seeks, he will find. And the one who knocks the door will be open. What is Jesus saying that we should ask for? Number one, there must be something specific that he has in mind. He says, ask and seek and knock in verses 7 and 8. Jesus here is speaking to a humble persistence to stay before our Heavenly Father in prayer. It is a humble persistence, but it is also a passionate Persistence. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. What did He say about those who have an interest in the kingdom? As He gets down to verse 3, He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I believe one qualification for this prayer to be answered, the kind of prayer that Jesus is talking about, is that you would be poor in spirit before your heavenly Father, the judge of all the earth. That you would persist in prayer in humility. Not in demanding what you think you have earned or what God owes you because of your righteous life. But coming to Him with your hands open and saying, Lord, all that I have to give is here empty in my hands. I have nothing to bring to You. But I come to You begging for grace. And Jesus answers that prayer. All three of these pleas, asking, seeking, and knocking, invite us to plead with God for His aid that we might keep His commands. We ask for His saving grace to save us from our sins. We ask for the Holy Spirit to be filling us, that we might obey Him, that He would enable us to do all that He has given us to do in His Word, and that little by little, day by day, you and I would be giving ourselves more to the Lord and less to sin. More and more we would be seeing sin put to death and Jesus glorified in us. In the context of this passage of Scripture, this kind of prayer leads us as individuals to the Gospel. Jesus' topic here in asking and receiving is about discipleship with the Lord Jesus. It's not about wealth. We don't get whatever we ask or however much we ask for. This is not about money. The Gospel is not about health and wealth and everything else being fine. There are too many dear saints who suffer not having these things for that to be the Gospel. If Jesus is effective to do all that He says He would do, and if He died on the cross for our sake, 
Certainly He died for more than our peace and comfort in this life alone. And your life bears that out. The Lord Jesus is with you in the midst of those things. In spite of those things. In spite of your difficulties or your trials, your bad health, or your disastrous finances from time to time. The Lord is with you. He has promised that He would be with His people. He says, ask and see and knock and I will answer. When He instructs us to do that, He means that we should be seeking the grace of God to cover our sin and His strength in us to grow in holiness in His presence. May we therefore be rich in Jesus' way here, hearing His words, striving for holiness in our lives, sharing His words with others to bless them, but not to judge them. And when we fail to find the riches of Jesus in our life, may we not despair. Instead, let us ask, as Jesus says, for God's favor. Let us knock at His door, seeking mercy and grace in the hour of need. Scripture often encourages constant prayer for God's blessings. You've heard, be instant in season and out of season. Be constantly praying. The Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, verse 13. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And finally, James says later in the New Testament, if any of you lacks wisdom... He should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to Him. James chapter 1, verse 5. Ask is a general term that simply means to ask God in prayer. In a constant, everyday, ongoing conversation with your Heavenly Father. Seek implies that we do not know sometimes what exactly we are looking for or precisely how to pray. And knock implies that we seek something that is inaccessible to us. The door is closed. We've tried and failed to obtain something, but the door remains still in our face. We cannot, but God can, and He will open it if it is right for us. And praise the Lord for the doors that He has closed for us. The ways that He has not allowed us to walk down a certain path that we were absolutely certain was right in life, but He seeing more than a few feet in front of Him knew for years and decades that that was not the right turn we should take and going down that road would not be for His ultimate glory and our good in this life. Praise the Lord for shutting doors and nose to prayers. Number two, how does God hear and answer our prayers? We're talking about your Heavenly Father here. I think in two ways. In this passage of Scripture, our Heavenly Father is separate from us. In verses 9 through 11, he gives a very simple and very clear illustration. I want to read it again. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? How does God hear and answer our prayers? Number one, I think it's, it's helpful to see the separateness of God and the difference between He and our earthly fathers. We can all admit that we are radically selfish. We're inclined to rebel against God and to do evil towards our fellow man. And if human parents who are crippled by evil, and notice Jesus says, if you then, 
who are evil. This is one of the only times that Jesus speaks in distance from His people. If you being evil, He's saying, I'm not. I am not ridden with sin. I don't have guilt and shame. I am the divine Son of God. If you being evil, if human parents who are crippled with evil still treat their children well, then God who is good will certainly give good gifts to His children. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, what we've been looking at for these many months now is that the Lord wants us to have His kingdom. He desires to give us His kingdom and His righteousness. The Bible does promise that God will make us holy. What a glorious promise. He will make us holy. As the choir sang this morning for our call to worship, be holy for your God is holy. That's not a command to beat you over the head with. It is a promise that the blood of Jesus won for you. Be holy as I am holy. How does He do it? In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus says that the Father will give His Spirit to those who ask. You want to know what kind of prayer does Jesus answer? What kind of prayer does He delight to respond yes to, to His children? Pray that He would fill you with His Spirit. He promises that He does to those who belong to Him. He grants what we need to grow in holiness. Not necessarily that we would have a carefree life. How many of us are disenfranchised sometimes with our prayer life? Well, it doesn't seem to be doing anything. Because the things I pray about don't seem to be coming to pass. How many of the things that you are praying about, dear ones, and this is not to minimize our prayer request list, but how many of us pray that God would make us like His Son? Jesus said that was the reason why He came. In Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read a few verses. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 25. He gives a metaphor for Christ's love for the church. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Jesus loved you that way to present you holy in His presence. Are you praying about that? Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. The good deeds that we do for our children, parents, knowing how to give them good gifts does not remove our sinfulness. There's no amount of things that you can give your children to pay for the sins of your life. You can keep giving and giving and giving and you will not be absolved. So when we pray, we should first be seeking forgiveness of our own sins and deliverance from evil. We prayed that this morning in the Lord's Prayer together. Of all of God's gifts, this is supreme. This is number one, that Jesus bore the punishment we deserve for our sins and evil in His sight. Then He offered to wrap us in His holiness. His good deeds if we believe in Him. Then when God looks upon us, He sees the righteousness of Christ and not our sin. That is the miracle of the universe. That is the best news you will hear today. That as you come to this table, you don't come hoping that everything you've done will be enough. You come knowing that everything you've done will never be enough. 
and that Jesus wrapped you in His righteousness when you cry out to Him in repentance and faith and you belong to Him. Hallelujah. There's nothing else to do but rest in Him. Secondly, how does God hear us? And I think this is very significant for many of us. That this judge, the one who we will stand in front of, and if you've ever been in a courtroom, you know what this is like, even a small picture of it. That we will be before His throne and the judge will be in front of us. But the good news of the Gospel for God's children is that this judge is our Father. We are to persist in asking because the One who responds to our asking, who reveals Himself to our seeking, and who opens His heart to our knocking is a Father to us, says Sinclair Ferguson. He comes back to this, Jesus does. Something He had already addressed. He'd already talked about the fatherhood of God, but He comes back to it here in relation to our prayers because His concern is that we would discover that our judge... The righteous Holy One, the One who is high and lifted up, is our Heavenly Father. The truth about God and therefore the true knowledge of God does not lie in one or the other of these characteristics. Some would say, He's the judge, I stand for truth. Or some would say, He's my Father, He loves me. And these two things are not in competition. They are in a beautiful tension that the judge is my Father. And what He requires of me, He accomplished on His own. And I stand before Him accepted because of His Son who won my seat there. He won my seat at the table. You can come to this table not in fear this morning. You come to this table with your head high because the Lord Jesus has brought you there. You are there because of Him. We shall never really understand the wonder of His grace. Seeking mercy like beggars before a judge, we discover that He wants us to be His sons and daughters. Can you imagine the God of the universe wants you and me to be His sons and daughters, to have delight and joy in us? It certainly is a wonderful thing that God justifies sinners and that as the righteous judge of all the earth, He is able to acquit us. His hand is not short. He can give forgiveness. The strong arm of His salvation is sure. But wonder of wonders in the Gospel. Jesus points us to something that seems to belong to a higher order of things when He says that your Father will give you good gifts. This judge takes the adoption papers on our behalf. He places His hands on our shoulders and says, My child, I want you. Not just forgiveness. Not just a clean slate. He says, I want you in my family, at my table, eating the meal that I have prepared. And Jesus promised to His disciples, I go and make a place for you. I want you home. At my table. I want you there. You belong to Me. Share in the inheritance that I have earned all of my blessings. You will be my son or my daughter. And from now on, come to me and ask me when you are in need. How many of us, when we sin, we think, oh oh boy, God's going to find out. 
But what a difference it would make if in your heart and in your mind, when something goes wrong in your life, when your heart, your disordered desires take you places that you wish you'd never gone, what if you said, I've got to talk to my Father. I need to be in His presence. I'm not afraid. Jesus won forgiveness for me. I shouldn't come and and cower as a slave. I am a son or a daughter. He has called me into His home. Lastly, I just want to say a word or two about the golden rule as we come to the Lord's table. Why did Jesus say these words in verse 12? I think because those are the measure of everything that He's been teaching. Verse 12, the golden rule. And many of us have been taught it in the negative form. If you don't want people to do things, certain things to you, then don't do those things to other people. But Jesus gives this rule in an amazingly positive and limitless standard. Whatever you want people to do for you, do to them. If you want love, if you want to receive wonderful gifts, if you want to be accepted, then give that. Let that flow out of your life for other people. Calvin thought that the golden rule is another way of saying that we should be just and fair towards all people. So many quarrels occur because men knowingly and willingly trample justice towards others under their feet while demanding perfect justice for themselves. All of us can explain minutely and ingeniously what ought to be done for us. We should apply that same skill and wisdom as we think about loving others. Sadly, we fix our attention on our own needs and desires that we are hardly aware of the needs of others. The whole Bible sets the standards of what we owe to other people. Jesus could have said, go read that. If you want to know what it means to live according to righteousness, go read that. But then, out of His love and condescension, in a paraphrase, Jesus says, do for others what you sense of justice would require others for them to do to you. I'll read it again. Do for others what your sense of justice would require others to do for you. He later simply says, love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that this kind of living before our Heavenly Father is pleasing to Him, but it is also incredibly attractive to the world around us. Jack Miller said, Where there is humility of faith, the fountain of God's love is constantly rediscovered. And the thirsty unsaved are drawn to Christ as they see our hearts satisfied and overflowing with grace. It cannot help but come out. May the world see that in you and me. And as we take some moments now to come to the table of the Lord's grace, may we be nourished by His hand according to His standard and for His glory and our good. Amen. This time I'd like to ask the men who will be participating in in the Lord's Supper to come forward.
our Heavenly Father in His wisdom and in His grace has given us this meal that we might be nourished at His table. It's His table, it's not my table, it's not Lebanon Presbyterian Church's table, it is the table of the Lord Jesus. May we be instructed that, but may we also be nourished today as we gather as God's people, that this is a true means of grace. When we say that this is a sacrament, it is no mere memorial. We are not just remembering Jesus and thinking hardly about our sins. This is a time to come and be fed by our Lord Jesus himself, who is with us and in this meal together as we celebrate our Heavenly Father and his great love for us in Christ. Hear these words of institution from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest he come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. The Lord Jesus clearly teaches there through Paul that we should examine ourselves before we come to the table of the Lord's grace. So I want to take a few moments now in silent confession before the Lord to allow us all to pray, to confess particular sins, and in a moment I'll pray for us. Father, we confess that there are many ways that we have sinned against you even in this day, in thought and word and deed. There are things that you have told us to do in your word that we have left undone, and the things that you tell us we ought not to do, those are the things that we have done. Lord, we confess our sins before you, the holy, righteous, good, heavenly Father that you are. Lord, we pray that you would Help us, fill us with your spirit, that we would be able to walk in your ways and be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we pray that you would do this for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the precious blood that he spilled on the cross, that our sins might be forgiven. In your name, amen. As I said a moment ago, this is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not my table, but it is our responsibility as leadership in this church to fence this table, 
It is the table of the Lord Jesus for those who belong to Him by faith, who have trusted in Him and rest in Him alone for salvation and in nothing else, not in good works or good intentions or good feelings or a family name. Our representation before the throne of God is through Jesus Christ by faith alone, through His grace. So if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you ought not participate in this table. This is a covenant meal, a meal for family. If your children have not made profession of faith, they ought not to participate in this meal. But we look forward to that day when they will be able to celebrate this meal together. If there is some ongoing, persisting, nagging sin in your life that you have left unconfessed and are unwilling to give it to the Lord, then you ought not participate today. Or if there is something that is left yet undone between you and someone else, and you couldn't say in good conscience, I've done everything I can to make this right, leaving it to the Lord, then you ought not come to this table and celebrate again when we celebrate in a couple months. But this table is not for the perfect. This table is for those who feel and sense a deep need of the Lord Jesus' grace in their life. Come and receive these gifts of God. They are meant to nurture you, to encourage your heart and your faith, and build you up as you know the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread in their presence that they saw it. And it says that after He had prayed, He broke it. And He gave it to them and He said, This is My body which is broken for you. That bread represented His actual body that in a few short hours would be broken and beaten beyond recognition. A crown of thorns would be crushed down on His head such that blood would flow from it. That He would be stuck in His side with a spear and blood and water would run out. And He would be nailed brutally to a cross. Hanging there naked, displayed for everyone to see, uh, ashamed. Is what many people said. They hung their faces when they saw Him. Jesus went through that for you and for me. That He might accomplish all righteousness for His people. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ is broken for you. It also says that after the supper, and He had given thanks, He took the cup and He poured it. And He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. No longer will there be any sacrifice for sin apart from me. That cup represented two things. First, it represented many things, but two things that it did represent was the blood that He would pour out on that cross. And the cup itself also represented the wrath of God, all of which Jesus would drink to the very bottom for you and for me. And that's why we painstakingly say, remind ourselves, that there is therefore no more wrath for God's people. There is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8. All of the condemnation and wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. He drank that bitter cup to the bottom for you and for me. May we come to this table and feast upon Christ. Our Passover lamb was sacrificed once and for all. Hallelujah. These are the gifts of God to you, His people.
Lord Jesus said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you.
Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. Having tasted and seen that the Lord is good, let us now stand together and sing, Let Us Love and Sing and Wonder, hymn number 172. of our Lord from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may you be whole, spirit, soul, and body, be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen.